Amen. Good evening, everyone. So good to be with you tonight. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. While you're finding 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, so the youth had a great retreat. The women had a great retreat. Now the men are the next up on the docket, the 22nd through the 24th of March. Guys, don't forget about that. And then, of course, the week after that, the weekend after that, is Easter this year. Easter comes early, uh, the last Sunday of March. And then the first Sunday of April is our 14th anniversary as a church. So we got a lot of great stuff coming up. And plus all the stuff for our children, for our youth, for our men, for our women, all kinds of stuff going on. We want you to be a part of it. Uh, even though I covered, in, in many respects, the first 12 verses last week, we're going to go back before we keep moving on, and we want to look at some things from a little bit of a different aspect tonight, because there was so much in this passage that I just couldn't cover it all in one week. So I wanted to divide it up and, and go back and sort of sweep through a few things again. And I want to start where I started last week, where Paul is reminding the Thessalonians you know me, you, you knew us. Our ministry was very personal. It, 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 was, it was present. It was up close. Uh, we weren't trying to minister to you from a distance. We were right there in your midst. So just to remind ourselves of this, look at verse 1. You yourselves know, brothers and sisters, about our coming to you. And then in verse 2, but although we suffered earlier and mis were mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had the courage in our God. And then if you go down to verse 10, you are witnesses, and so is God, as to how holy and righteous and blameless our conduct was toward you who believe while we were in Thessalonica, as you know. Okay? Why is Paul emphasizing this? Well, again... He's laying out a model for ministry. He's saying the only way to do effective ministry is up close, personal, being present. Again, you can impress people from a distance, but you can only impact them up close. But there's another reason why Paul is emphasizing this. Paul hadn't stayed long in Thessalonica. He had only spent a short time there, and then he moved on. And after he moved on, there were a group of people that came in and was even part of the church in Thessalonica that was trying to attack Paul, that was trying to discredit him, that was trying to undermine his ministry. Now listen, just like us, many times Paul just let the attacks go. There were times he did not choose or feel led by God to defend himself. But if you read his letters in the New Testament, and you're familiar with his letters of the New Testament. There are many letters where he did defend himself. Why? Not for his own sake. He was defending the work of God, the work that God wanted to use him to do. And therefore, he would take up for himself, just like he's doing here. He's saying, you knew who we were. People may have come in after us, and it's easy when, you know, the person's not there, to say anything, but that's exactly what they were doing to Paul. And so I, I want to start out by saying this. There, most of the time, 
We don't need to defend ourselves, and nor should we defend ourselves. But there are times where, especially for the sake of our ministry and our impact and our influence upon others and the work that God wants to do through us, we should defend ourselves and not feel bad about it because it's God's work that's at stake. It's God's ministry at stake. And so I want you to keep your finger there because we're going to come back there, but we're going to look at several verses tonight. And I want to go back now to the book of Acts, chapter 20, a book that we just studied before we got into Thessalonians. But I want you to go back to Acts chapter 20 because I didn't spend a lot of time with these particular verses. And this is so appropriate now to touch on these. I want you to go back to Acts 20, and I want to begin at verse 28. Remember, while Paul was present, okay, they weren't going to say anything. But as soon as Paul left, they started to undermine his ministry and to discredit him. Now, notice what he says to the Ephesian spiritual leaders in Acts 20, beginning in verse 28. Watch out for yourselves and for all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So he's primarily talking to the pastors, okay? I realize you might not be the pastor, but hold on here. You'll, you'll see where I'm going with this. To shepherd the church of God that he obtained with the blood of his own son. I know that after I am gone, fierce wolves will come in among you. Please note that. Not sparing the flock. Even from among your own group, men will arise teaching perversions of the truth to draw the disciples away after them. Paul is warning pastors. And he's primarily saying in this passage before we got to it, that pastors are responsible to feed the sheep, but pastors are also responsible before God to protect the flock. And in this context, obviously, to protect the flock, not just physically, but spiritually, to protect the flock from false doctrine and from wolves that will come in in sheep's clothing. I have been mindful through the Lord in the last couple of months that I, as the pastor and shepherd of this church, needed to be more aware of protecting the flock from some things that I was hearing and observing that was going on. And because I'm ultimately responsible before God for this church, but we're all responsible before God to make sure that we are not allowing false doctrine to begin to get inserted into our house of worship, into our church family, because it's very dangerous, and it's something that Jesus and the Bible talks about a lot. So I want you to now leave Acts 20 and go back to Matthew chapter 7. Let's look at the words of Jesus for just a moment. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7, verse 15. And I'm not going to read the whole passage, but just verse 15. Jesus says, and this certainly goes along with what Paul said, 
watch out for false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are voracious wolves, Matthew 7, 15. Again, using the whole wolf and sheep metaphor, right? Now, go over to the book of Ephesians from there. Another book that Paul wrote. And go to chapter 4. And I'm going to sort of begin in verse 12. In verse 12 is where he's talking again to the spiritual leaders of the church at Ephesus, just as he was in Acts 20. And he's telling them, look, you need to feed God's people. You need to create an environment where God's people can grow, where they can mature, where they can make progress, where in verse 12 they can be equipped for the ministry and to build up the body of Christ, verse 13, until we all attain unity of the faith and knowledge of the Son of God. Notice, a mature person, a mature Christian. Why? Verse 14. So that we are no longer any of us in the church children, spiritually, tossed back and forth by waves and carried about by every wind of teaching and by the trickery of people who craftily carry out their deceitful schemes. And remember something. The Bible is teaching us this happens within the church. Within the church. That's how the devil works. He will begin to try to infiltrate the church with certain people people who are bringing false doctrine, who are false prophets, false teachers, whatever, and they begin to lob things out there. And it is our job, no matter what setting we are in, because I, as the pastor, I can't be in every Bible study. I can't be in every small group. I can't be in everything where there are people from this church getting together. So when someone who's part of those groups or whatever just lob something out, it is my hope and prayer that whoever is leading goes, let's make sure that that's what the Bible says. It is what you're lobbing out there, is what you're sharing, does it line up with Scripture? Because the Bible teaches us all as Christians, not just pastors, it's not just our responsibility. In 1 John, test the spirits, because there are many false spirits that have gone out into the world. And so we need to make sure that we are continually testing the spirits and that what we are hearing from others, even within our own church, is lining up with Scripture. Okay? And so it's, it's just a very timely thing that Paul felt the need to defend himself. Now, I'm not here tonight trying to defend myself. I'm simply saying that we all have to be cautious and careful about making sure that we are maintaining truth, you know, uh, because it, one of the great strategies of Satan is to sow falsehood and false doctrine and false teaching into the fabric of a local church. And that diminishes, then, our spiritual purity and our spiritual power, okay? And so now you can go back to 1 Thessalonians. Last week, 
We talked about not just the model for ministry that Paul was setting down, but the goal for ministry. And again, the goal for ministry, I want to remind ourselves, is found in verse 12. It is insisting that we live in a way worthy of God, that our life in every respect should reflect the value and worth of God in our lives, that, that people should see what we're involved in, what we're spending our money on, what we're spending our time doing, what our choices and decisions are, what our priorities are, and that our life should be reflective of the fact that God and our relationship to him and our growth in him and our fellowship with him and our relationship to him is of highest value and worth to us. Okay? That's what that, and that's the goal. That is the goal of ministry. If people were to ask, you know, us, what, what's the goal of the Oasis Church? It would be to bring people to where all of us are living in a way worthy of God. Okay? Now, I want to go back for just a moment because I didn't emphasize this last week. I want to go back to the word live. In the original language, you can use the word walk. Okay? Which is an important word. The Bible talks much about walking as Jesus walked, to walk in the footsteps of Jesus, to, to view our Christian life as a walk, as a steady, step-by-step -step progression with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But it also carries with it the concept of regulating our life by a certain standard, okay? Again, what would that standard be? The truth of God. The truth of God. That's the standard. So when we think about our life as Christians, we have to think that God wants us to live as a thermostat, not as a thermometer. That, that we set ourselves, our thermostat, to the truth of God. Okay? Because if we're not, then we become thermometers and we are carried about by everything that comes down the pike. That whatever environment we are in, whatever group we are in, whatever new teaching or new doctrine, you know, comes into existence, we just flow right along with that because we're not settled, we're not grounded, we're not rooted in the truth. So in order to walk or live in a way worthy of God, we've got to also have the mindset that I've got to become as I walk with Christ, a thermostat regulating my life to the truth of God, okay? Then he goes on to say in verse 12, walk in a way worthy of God who calls you to his own kingdom and his glory. We're going to spend a lot of time on this phrase because first of all, I want to point out that the word calls means a continuous call. God is continually calling his people to more. Let's start there. From God's perspective, there's always more for us. So God is always going to be calling us to more. So the question all of us need to ponder and consider and even answer is, what is it right now in this season of my life is God calling me more to? How, how does that flesh out? How, how do I apply that? What is the specific thing that God is calling me to more of when it's related to him in this season 
of my life. Status quo will never cut it in the Christian life. Status quo or just maintaining the status quo is always going to lead to stagnation, disintegration, and decay. As I've said before, we're either moving forward or we're moving backward, okay? So that's why God is going to continually call us to more. And specifically here, in the context of living a life worthy of God, notice that he is specifically calling us to two things. So let's talk about those two things. He's continually going to call us to his own kingdom. What's that mean? Well, first of all, the kingdom speaks of God's rule and reign. Okay? God's rule and reign. So let's first look at the kingdom from this aspect. When you and I trust Christ as our Savior, obviously we believe he's the Son of God, we believe he died for our sins, we accept the gospel. But at that point in our life, all the compartments of our heart, all the parts of our life, they're not yet surrendered to God's rule and reign. So our Christian life, what Paul would say in the book of Romans and other places, using the word sanctification, that theologically sounding word, and it is, is simply really fleshing out what Paul is saying is God's continuous call here. That God is going to continue to come into our lives through his spirit and through his word, and he's going to go, uh, Jeff, uh, you, you surrendered that part of your life to me now, and, and you've, but, but there's that over there. You, you haven't given me that yet. You, you're holding on to that. You, you're, you're, still, you're still managing that part of your life, and you haven't given me the leadership in that area. Or, or maybe you, you haven't trusted me with that particular area. I need you to do that. I, I need you, Jeff, to surrender that. That's part of what it means that God is going to... Con he wants every part... He, our Christian life is to be an ever-surrendering uh, exchange with God where more and more of our lives are surrendered to his rule and to his reign. I mean, ultimately, the, the goal would be that every part of our life is totally surrendered to him. Now, obviously, on this side of heaven, that won't happen, but the, the standard and the ideal is still there. God will always be calling us to more of his kingdom. And again, what that means is simply surrender more of your life to me. And whatever hasn't been surrendered yet or submitted to me, you need to turn over to me. And so God will work on that. But the other part, of God's continuous call to his kingdom, is that remember, his eternal goal for his people is that we do what? That we rule and reign with him, right? That's the design he has for us. He looks at us as kings and queens, if you will, that we are capable of ruling and reigning. So another way to apply God's continuous call to his kingdom, he wants to give more to each of us to manage. He wants to give more of his kingdom and he wants to entrust more of it to us. 
And so as we've even talked about with the life of David, he wants to test us and he wants to show us that he can, you know, trust us with more and more. And so the Christian life is not only an, uh, a continuous surrender, it's also a, a continual stepping up and managing and being in charge of more. And, and even, I'll say it this way, seeing victory in our life, being an overcomer, uh, being a conqueror, uh, uh, the things that used to defeat us and, and, and keep us down, we now are ruling and reigning over through the uh, power and authority that we have in God, right? And, and we're applying that to these different situations and these different areas of our life. And now, instead of it ruling and reigning over us, we are ruling and reigning over it. See, we're not allowing it to control us through the power and authority of God that he's already given us. We are now learning to rule and reign over it. And it becomes now subservient to us. So those are the two aspects of God's continuous call when it comes to his kingdom. But that's not all. Paul says God also continually calls us to his glory. Boy, I love the songs that Nicole chose tonight. And we certainly sung about his glory. What does it practically mean that God is going to continually call me to his glory? Well, Again, the word glory speaks of God's infinite and intrinsic worth and value. So God is going to continually work in us, his people, so that our opinion of him continues to go higher, that, that we see him greater and greater, that, that we become even more in awe and wonder of him as we see more of him clearly. That's why we are called to look to him and to see him, to fill our vision with him, because the more we then know him and understand him, the more we are seeing his glory, you see. And then the Bible says this, that we then are transformed when we truly begin to behold his glory, then we are transformed into his likeness from one level of glory to another level of glory. And God's glory then begins to be reflected in our own life. People begin to see God in and through us, and that's why God calls us to his glory. But I'll give you one more shade here, of meaning. When you and I begin to raise our opinion of God more and more and see him in a greater light, that also then helps us to see our own value and worth. Because you understand, if I begin to realize how great, how good, how majestic, how, you know, he is. And that as great as he is, as awesome as he is, that he loved me enough to die for me, then that gives me value and worth. I begin to see myself 
in a whole different light because I see him in his true light, you see. And that's why God wants to call us to his glory because he wants us to see him more and more for who he really is and it's only then as we see him for who he really is we see us for who we really are so many people today even christians struggle with their the way they view themselves and they're trying to fix that but they're fixing it the world's way rather than god's way they're trying to think better of themselves by looking at themselves all the time. They're consumed with themselves. And God sort of stays out of the picture. No. God's way to feel better about ourselves and to see ourselves in a better light is to see him in all his glory. It all has to come through God and through the lens of God and through the prism of God, you see through the paradigm of God. It all has to start and end with God. And so Paul here is giving a wonderful principle to the Thessalonian believers. He's saying, this is the goal of ministry and this is what God will continually do in your life. Now, it may look different as far as some specific applications in, in certain situations, but for the most part, it's going to, filtered down into one of these two areas. God is going to continually be calling us to his kingdom and continually calling us to his glory. And that's going to be the essence of our Christian life. But what does that take then from us? Well, notice verse 13. And we, and so we too, constantly thank God. You know, I'm going to stop there. I know, I can't get too far. Did you notice here, because if you go back to verse 2 even, what Paul says, we thank God always. Paul lived a life of thanksgiving and gratitude and appreciation with God all the time. That, that's a good principle too. That, that we should live a life of thanksgiving and praise and gratitude for God, that, that should just be something that characterizes all of our lives as God's people. Wouldn't it be great if people who didn't even know God said about us, you know what, I might not agree with those Christians a lot, of, but, but they're awful thankful people. They're, they're awful grateful people. They're always thanking their God for something or someone. That was Paul. And then notice what Paul says. And we... So we too constantly thank God that when you received God's message that you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human message, but as it truly is God's message, which is at work among you who believe. Can I say, and I, in the right way, I, I'm proud to be able to say this as your pastor, that's happening here at the Oasis Church. The people who are coming to this church, like you, whether it's Wednesday night, Sunday at 9 o'clock, Sunday at 11 o'clock, whether it's men's ministry, women's ministry, youth ministry, children's ministry, whatever. Most people are coming here and they are, first of all, the word received, they are open to God's message. They're not coming here closed off. Because I can sense that when I'm teaching the word of God. And most of the time, the auditorium is filled with people 
who I can tell, they are here because they are open. They want to hear what God has to say. Okay? That's where it starts. Because so many, even Christians, are not open. That's the front door. You've got to be open to God's message. You can't be closed off to it. You, you can't be someone who's not willing to listen to the word of God. Then he goes on to say, you were open to it, and then you accepted it. You embraced it. You welcomed it. You took it for yourself. And you had a perspective. This wasn't some man or woman in front of you that was speaking to you. You heard God's voice. In fact, the word message there, when he says, but as it truly is, God's message, you could also use the words God's word or God's voice literally speaking to us. And when you and I have that perspective, and it's not some human being, it's God speaking to me, then we are not only open to it and embracing it and welcoming it and taking it for ourselves, but we are allowing God, the end of verse 13, to work in us through his word. And that word work means two things. First of all, it means to operate. I think that's why the author of Hebrews in Hebrews 4.16 talks about the word of God being sharper than any two-edged sword. It gets down there into the joints and marrow and literally into the, it penetrates into the deepest recesses of our human soul and being. It's like the word of God is God's sharp scalpel. It is a surgical and spiritual instrument that God uses to get in there and perform some operations. Because guess what? We all, even as God's people, we need to have some operations at times. There, there's things that aren't right spiritually in here, and God has to use his word to go in and operate and fix some things. But this word work, I love this, also means to energize. And you've heard our worship leader, Nicole, say many times, you know, she's reminded us that great verse of Paul where it, it's God who works in us both to will and to do his good pleasure. That God literally gives us the desire, and the energy to do it when he's at work. That's how we, we know we're letting God do it. If we're doing it, then we're doing it in our own power, in our own strength. When we're allowing God to work, we're letting literally the supernatural energizing power of God work in us and literally, as we even sung about, work from the inside out. Operating, energizing. And then he says in verse 14, for you became imitators. And we talked about that. Here in verse 14, notice, he says, you became imitators of God's churches in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. But notice back in verse 6, they were also first imitators of the apostle Paul and his missionary team as well as of the Lord. And I talked about the fact that that word imitator meant to be a follower of a God-approved example, which means that I also then have to be led by the Spirit to know who should I be following. Because again, going back to my first passages we looked at tonight, there are people out there even within the church we should not follow. 
should not follow. They're not good examples. So I've got to have the discernment, the perception, the insight from the Lord to know, who should I be following? Who should I be imitating? Who should I be mimicking in my Christian life? Obviously, the Lord comes above everything. Follow the Lord. But the Lord gives us living, breathing examples within his body because he understands. Yes, you can be following the Lord, but you also need some human beings around you that, that can be an example to you as well. Both as a model, as a pattern, but also as an encouragement, you see. And so all this is taking place. And it's all because Paul and his missionary team, they were a model for ministry, as we talked about last week. And when you have the right leaders and the right people, letting God use them, and then on the other side of that, you've got a group of people, like in Thessalonica, and like I think here at the Oasis, that, you know, you're hungry, you want more, you come open, you come ready to receive, you don't look at this as, as man's voice. You look at this as God's voice speaking to you. You're letting God work in you, and God is working in our midst. Then great things begin to happen. Then we begin to multiply and really grow like we can grow. That's why he says, you became imitators of God's churches, and here's how they became an imitator in this specific context. They were willing to suffer, to feel the pain, to be affected and to be afflicted just like other churches were. They were paying a price for being a follower, associating with, identifying with, not just the Lord, but with the Lord's people. And Paul goes on in verse 15 to say, oh yeah, and these same kind of people, they killed Jesus. <laughs> they killed Jesus. And Jesus was the perfect sinless son of God. So even as Jesus said and preparing his disciples, if they treat the master this way, are they not going to treat his followers the same way? Do you expect to be treated any different by the, way, by the world than I was treated? And you're not perfect like I am. So we should expect this kind of suffering and this kind of treatment. Notice he goes on to say, they not only killed Jesus, they killed the prophets and persecuted us severely. They oppressed us and they opposed us with a passion. Now Paul goes on to say, this displeases God. Yeah, I bet. And he goes on to say, and they're opposed to all people. Why? Because the best thing for people is to come to know God. And they were putting up roadblocks for people to come to know God and to grow in God. And that was not good. So, notice what he says in verse 16. They are making it difficult. They are hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles so they may be saved. You and I need to wrestle with the reality that in ministry and in following the Lord, there's going to be times where our enemy makes it difficult for us. There's going to be 
hurdles and there's going to be obstacles and there's going to be roadblocks. That is part of it. But notice here, what Paul is building to is the fact that none of these things stopped them. Just as it didn't stop Paul. Remember back in chapter 2, he talks about the fact we were horribly treated in Philippi, yet we came to Thessalonica. We didn't let it stop us. Again, you and I have to have that, that tenacity, that, that endurance, that perseverance, that stick-to-itiveness, that staying power through the Holy Spirit that we're not going to let the hard, difficult things stop us from continuing to follow the Lord. And then he says this. He says, they constantly fill up their measure of sins, but wrath has come upon them completely. Actually, I think this is a prophecy. What is Paul stating here? And we're going to end in just a moment. Verse 16 is a description that implies that there is a certain measure of wickedness that God will allow before his judgment falls. That's implied with the words fill up their measure. Think about Noah and the flood. God let wickedness go, but then God finally said, even as a God of grace, even a God of grace has had enough at some point. And listen, God is more patient than all human beings combined, right? And yet, even with God, there comes a point that these people have filled it up. They, they have run their course and God's not going to allow them to go any further. And that should bring a comfort to us because it reminds us that God is ultimately in control, even of all the evil people and all the wickedness. And God will only let that go so far, and then he goes, enough is enough, you're done. You're done. And so Paul here is trying to encourage the Thessalonians, listen, I'm not saying that God's going to remove all challenges and obstacles and opposition. You're going to have seasons of that. You're going to have, because the enemy's adaptable. And I'm even going to go back to what I said at the beginning of this message. One of the things that I have become aware of through the Spirit is Satan, I have seen him in these last couple years here. He's tried certain strategies and they haven't worked very well. Well, one thing about our enemy, he doesn't, get discouraged either he'll just try a new strategy and and one of the strategies that that he is he is sowing if you will right now that all of us need to be aware of is that it's great we have all these new people coming to our church that's amazing we're going to always welcome new people to come but let's be cautious and mindful that with all these new people are coming they're bringing their stuff with them and some of the stuff they bring with them is not solid theology or solid doctrine. And I hope that they stay and they are willing to be teachable and, and willing to be taught and willing to listen so that they can grow and maybe realize that some of the things that, that they thought that, that they're going to have to change their opinion about. And that's fine because we're all there. We're all still growing. But we also have to be careful of the people that we've already talked about that the Word of God warns us about. Wolves in sheep's clothing. Remember, even the Bible says Satan can transform himself into what? An angel of light. 
And therefore, Paul goes on to say, and his ministers can then transform themselves into ministers of righteousness. On the outside, they might look good, but you start scratching through the surface and you realize, "Uh uh-oh, that's not good. And so all of us have to have our spiritual antennas up because all of us, before God, are responsible in our lives to make sure that we are every day testing the spirits to make sure that what we are hearing from others and even what you're hearing from me or anyone is lining up with what the Word of God says. I'll end with this. My title for tonight's message was God's Continuous Call. I want you to be mindful as you leave here tonight or as you turn off your TV tonight from your home. What is God calling me to right now? What is the more God is calling me to? And remember, think about that verse that God's call, his continuous call, is primarily to two things, to his kingdom and to his glory. And how do I apply those calls to my life in this season? Father, we thank you tonight for the time we've had in your house. And we pray, God, that you would put a a blanket of protection, God, around the Oasis Church. God, not just physically, because obviously we're living in a time where we hear and we see that, Lord, people come into local churches all the time and can try to take life or disrupt or cause division or whatever. And so, God, we, we pray physically that you would protect us, but we also pray spiritually, God, that you would protect us. That, God, there would not be false teaching and false doctrine and things that do not line up with your truth, God, that, that would be filtering into our body, that would sap us of our spiritual purity and power before you. May all of us be on alert and watchful as your word teaches us to these things. And thank you, God, for strengthening your people tonight through our time of worship and our time in the word. Go with us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. See you next week.